You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the bottom of the hour, Adnan Burke, MLB NHL Network host, Cinephile Podcast. At the top of the next hour, the franchise, Eric Francis, covers the Flames for Sportsnet, will join us. Flames uh, won one, lost one last night in preseason. So much for 10 nothing victories. That was nice on Sunday night. Yeah, this game had a very different feel. A lot of different feels. Uh, Flames lose 5-3 this with a Kraken in a split squad matchup last night down at the Dome. Oh, and then they win. 3-2 mm-hmm. in a shootout in Seattle. Suck on that Kraken. Yeah, better believe it. Uh, Sharon Govich with a just gross shootout move. Like, bro, save those for the season. Like, don't. Don't just try your hands. He's just making sure he's got it. A little something new. Yeah, don't don't. No worries. You know, just leave those for the to the season. You should have a vanilla shootout move. Just come in and just try to shoot a clapper or something. Clapper from the hash marks. Yeah, that's it. Just fire it up. <laughs> Aim for the collarbone mm-hmm. for sure. Um, bad news last night uh, when it comes to uh, Jacob Peltier. Um, fell awkwardly into the boards after a questionable hit in the dying seconds of the first period. Well, uh, got up, woke up, got up, and um, was favoring his shoulder. Oof. Um, doesn't look ideal for Jacob Pelche. I'm sure we'll find out today how long he is out for. But uh, what does that mean to this roster potentially if he's out long term here, Manny? It means a lot. Like, here's the thing when I was looking at the way that these lines were kind of organized, especially out of the gate, Adam Rzichka looks like he's going to get a look maybe in the top six here or, or middle six, if you want to call it that. Um, maybe in a spot that a lot of people thought Jacob Pelche was going to be, but it also looks like this team's going to go for a younger fourth line with maybe a little bit more scoring touch to it. And Pelche was going to be a pretty key part of that by the looks of it through two preseason games and a little bit of training camp. So as soon as you lose that, now you're looking for different guys. And there's other guys that can come in and fill that role. Not necessarily guys that have had experience doing it, but players that I think are ready to kind of take that next step, especially early on in the season when a lot of teams are trying to find their way. Now the question is, how long is he going to be out? What is the extent of this injury? And how far behind the eight ball is he going to be when he gets to, you know, play? Obviously, this is all doing a lot of guesswork because we don't know how long he's going to be out. We're going to find out probably later today after he has some tests done. That's kind of the way I look at it. It's a spot on your left side, probably on your fourth line, definitely your bottom six that's now open for probably the start of the season. Does this potentially have any effect on Walker Dewar potentially playing up in the lineup? No, I don't think so because I thought Walker Dewar would be the line mate for Jacob Peltier opposite him. I thought they would be the left and right kind of partners Maybe for that fourth Rajitska? line. No, I don't think, I think Rizicke has kind of moved up and, and turned into a guy that they might actually play at, at the left wing. He was playing center out in Seattle yesterday as part of a split squad game, but he's been playing on a line with Dubé and Kadri, and he's been skating on a line with Dubé and Kadri in practice skates. Um, so I kind of see Rizicke as maybe getting a shot as a left winger more so than a, a fourth line centerman. Um, I could see it, but... It, it, it feels like they're probably going to go a, a different route there with uh, the fourth line option um, for their center spot. It, it feels like the entire forward group 
is kind of in a blender right now. I think the only two players that are essentially married together in this lineup are Coleman and Backlund, right? I think so. Um, I would... I might put Kadri and Dubé close. I think they're getting closer. I think that could be a, a, a match that the team wants to see, and it did have success at a lot of different points last season. It was those two and Andrew Mangiapane that got off to those great first, you know, 15, 20 games of last season. And, the and DNA sh- line. Yes, sir. Um, they were really good. The Tenacious Three, as we called them. Sure. As everybody called them. Right. Everyone said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dylan Dubé also played center out in... Seattle yesterday. So is there a, a place where you see him centering the fourth line with Palche and Dewar? I could have seen that as well. Like, does Kevin Rooney get another shot here now that Daryl Sutter is gone? Was that kind of the guy that had him in the doghouse? Or was that something that Ryan Huska also felt was very appropriate? Or does Rooney get a shot to be the fourth line center here? Like, that's kind of one of the spots that I think is really open on this team now that Trevor Lewis is gone, and all those type of guys have moved on with their careers. Um, I don't know. To me, it's just very tempting to see what Coronado can do with Jonathan Huberto. I know right now the top line's Huberto, Lindholm, and Sharangovich, and obviously that can change at the drop of a hat, even when we drop the puck on the season on the 11th. But I just want to see Coronado play at least a a few games with Jonathan Huberto. I want to see if he can feed him and take advantage of of that shot. I, and it's not like you're, it's not like you're, and again, that, that would be a tall ask for a kid in his rookie season, you know, mm-hmm. playing on the top line of the Calgary Flames with Lindholm and Huberto. But I would love to see Huberto seeing if he can make some magic with that kid and set him up for that shot. And at least uh, Coronado would be insulated a little bit playing with Lindholm. I don't know about you, but I feel like that is very much a in game, we are losing. Let's give this thing a try. Especially to start the year. This is a team that's going to have one game at home and then five games out on the road. And as much as I like Coronado with that line, that line's going to be facing off against the best checking players for opposition for the first six games of the season. And I don't know if I want Matt Coronado in his first six games of his NHL career to be going out and being on the top line with with Huberdeau and with Lindholm. I kind of like him insulated a little bit further down the lineup. And you bring up a good point. Being alongside Lindholm is a nice helper in the defensive zone. But that also means that Lindholm has to do so much more work. And we saw that previously. And I'd like to have him with a couple of teammates that make it so he doesn't have to do so much work in the defensive zone and can actually operate offensively a little bit more and try and get back to some of those numbers that we saw when he was playing with Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau. So... I like the idea of starting Matt Coronado a little bit further down the lineup. I could see it with Kadri and Dubé. I could see it with Kadri and Rizicka. I could see him out there with Backlund and Coleman and Manjapani. I could see him out there with all those guys. Here's why I'm not a huge fan of, like, the point you just brought up. Here's why I'm not a huge fan of maybe on the second line with Kadri. Because Kadri needs to have a bounce-back season, too. Mm -hmm. Like, he was very good the first quarter of the season, and then kind of wasn't for the Calgary Flames, and he's a guy that they've invested a ton of money into. He's got a ton of term left on his deal. Nazem Kadri needs to have a bounce-back year, and Nazem Kadri needs to be Nazem Kadri and play on the edge. And I'm not sure if he's the guy that I would want to pair with Matt Coronado right now based on just Kadri needs to bounce back and be Kadri. I'd rather have a veteran on Kadri's wing and see if I can insulate Coronado with Huberto and Lindholm 
to, to take advantage of that shot. And that's more about Kadri's bounce back than Coronado's development, well, if that makes any sense to you. Not kind of, but Huberto had a worse year, and he needs to have a bounce back way bigger than Nazem Kadri. He absolutely does. And Sharon Govich is a veteran who can shoot the puck and has speed and has played in a speedy system with the Devils, which is a lot similar to what Florida did when Huberto was having a lot of his success down in Florida. Mm-hmm. So I think that Sharon Govich is a nice guy to have there. Like, I, I agree. Kadri but has to have a bounce I'm back just saying, year. I want to see Coronado play with a playmaker, and Dubé and Kadri, they aren't the biggest playmakers. That's essentially what I'm saying here, too. I well, want to take advantage of that guy's shot. Yeah. I do. And playing in the second line from playing from the first line isn't really that much of a step down when it comes to... He's also their number one prospect. Coronado's the yeah. cat. He's their number one prospect. And I think he's going to get a shot there, but it's just yeah. it's definitely not going to be to start the year when you're going on the road and playing some really good teams out sure. east, and he's going to have terrible matchups just based on being on the road, mm. right? Like, I, I think that you can kind of insulate him a little bit lower in the lineup. This is a guy who's played one NHL game coming sure. out of Harvard. He didn't even play in the AHL last year. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different game. 100%. So I just think throwing him out to be on the top line, like, do we think that he's going to win the Calder this year? I don't. Well, that's kind of Bedard's Exactly, and, and there's a whole bunch of guys out there that are going to do it. Yep. But I don't think that he's going to be in the running. I think he's going to have a very good year. Maybe he gets a couple of votes from some of the Calgary contingent. Sure. But you're looking at a class that has Luke Hughes and Logan Cooley and Connor Bedard and all these type of guys. Matt no, Coronado's, to me, he, I, he's not on top line guy just yet. I, I, don't, I could care less if he wins rookie of the year. It's about producing uh, and trying to score goals on a team that that was their number one issue last year. Playing all those one goal games, not having a game breaker. Like they had Tyler Toffoli and they kind of need to fill the void of Tyler Toffoli. And maybe this kid can do that just based on that incredible shot he has. I know it's one pre- it's one preseason game and one regular season game that we've really gotten a taste of Matt Coronado. But that shot is there. And I just want to see Hubert Lindholm potentially putting him in situations where he can use that shot and score goals. Because the guy, this is, this is what he does. This is why they were so horny to have him here at the end of the season and sign him to a contract. Let's see if this guy can shoot the puck. That's kind of what I want to do. And I get the whole defensive responsibility. I get the whole matchup thing. But scoring goals was the reason why this team missed the playoffs last season. It was J- it was Jacob Markstrom's down season. It was letting that goal in on the first thing. I get it. But all those one-goal frustrating losses, all those shootout and overtime losses, no finish on this team. And they were just throwing pucks at the net and hoping. And this guy seemingly looks like he can be a finisher. And I want to put him with somebody who can get him that puck. And that's Jonathan Huberto. That's all. Yeah, and, and he'll get a chance to do it. I just I, don't think it's going to be I'm early. excited to see it. Because Sharon Govich is the guy that they also targeted for his shot, his speed. This is a 25-year-old guy. It's not like he's young. Sure. And frankly, you've probably maybe given him a bit of a, I don't know how to call it a promise, but maybe a a little bit of a hint that this is where he's going to start mm-hmm. because that's Would, who you were traded for. Sure. So you should yeah, get to start there. But yeah, I, I think we'll get to see it at some point, but it's just definitely not where I would start Matt Coronado for his NHL career. Um, I mentioned the blue line and uh, we'll do that before we get to Adnan Verk straight ahead. But uh, this feels like uh, that sixth spot because we, we have no idea what's going on with Shillington. We have no idea if he's going to be back, when he's going to be back. You just hope for the best for the kid. And then everything's okay with him eventually. And then he can finally get back to the Calgary Flames and be an impact player 
on this blue line. But to me, it feels like Osterley is going to be the guy who's going to be the sixth defenseman and Gilbert's going to be the guy right behind him. Doesn't that kind of feel like how this blue line is going to shake out? Kind of depends on who they're playing. Like I already feel like it's almost going to be an opposition type of thing. Osterley is a little bit more of a mobile skater. He can move the puck pretty well. That's the thing that's kind of impressed me from the way that he's played. And then Dennis Gilbert, like we talked about yesterday on the show, he's kind of become the de facto tough guy for this team. So if you're getting into a contest, maybe inside the Pacific Division, or you're going up against a, a heavy opponent like the Islanders or something like that out east, yeah, I could see you going to a Dennis Gilbert and then using um, the other gentleman whose name is all of a sudden escaping my... What's his name? Osterley? Osterley. Yeah. Just straight brain fart. Yeah, it happens. Okay. Um, but I'm excited to see what he can do as well. You know, they were playing him with Chris Tanev to start in the Sunday game, which is an interesting pairing for me because, you know, I if you want to number out all three pairs for the Flames, by all means, have at her. But I don't know if this is necessarily going to be... Like, I don't see that... This team has five good defensemen to the sense that I don't look at it and I'm like, that guy's a third pair blue liner. Yeah, if you have Chris Tanev on your third pair, you're 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 you have, clean living. You have that's five, clean living. You got five top four defensemen. Yeah, that's clean living. Yeah, and I don't really care as much about the toughness that Milan Lucic has gone now. I care about being hard to play against. Yeah, hundred percent. And guys like Nazem Kadri and, and Walker Dewar and and Chris Tanev, those dudes are hard to play against. Yeah, they're they're, they're not fun to play against. No. Like, going out and having to deal like with the, Chris the, Tanev all night? Yeah. Especially like, if you're a shooter, and every time you think you have a lane, this guy comes out of nowhere and blocks your shot? That would mm-hmm. drive me nuts. And there's all sorts of guys across the league that are like that. But, yeah, you, you and, look up and down the roster. There's a lot of guys that are a bit of a pain in the ass. And, and you just hope that uh, the Flames have a ton of decisions to make if Shillington does come back. These are good problems to have on the blue line, that you have so much depth that you're like, who's going to be in the lineup? Who isn't going to be in the lineup? Because you have those five guys who are locked in, and then you have kind of that. Because if Shillington's back, I would assume he's going to get a super long look. He's not going anywhere in this lineup unless he's get hurt. Well, unless he's like incredibly out of shape compared to the last time we saw him, but I don't think that's the case. Right. Right? So, I don't know. Um, that's a tough one with Shillington because obviously the team isn't saying a whole lot more. We haven't heard anything else since you know the start of camp. Um, you don't want to make any assumptions, but it's hard to assume that he's going to be playing for the team this year. Um, can the seesaw that is uh, Nikita Zadorov take a step this season? I think, or pretty much he is what he is at this point. I think he is what he is, but I think that there's always room for, you know, experience influencing decision making. If that makes sense, every time you make another, you play another year in the NHL, yep. especially as a guy who was elevated into a top four role for many instances last year, uh, and a guy who's very confident in his own ability and has said many times that he wants to be a top four defenseman. I do think that this is a guy that can flourish in this system. Like Zadorov has that long reach. He sneakily joins the rush. He's kind of got like decent handles for a guy that is that big on the blue line. He's tough. He'll drop the gloves occasionally. Yeah, he's not the best fighter for a guy his size, but he just kind of overpowers dudes instead, which is fine. You can get away doing that when you're six foot six and 230, 240. But I think there's definitely room for him to excel into a top four role. It's going to be interesting watching this year because 
as we've already seen through a couple of preseason games, the Flames are trying to be much more aggressive with their defensemen joining the rush and helping to create offense. But as you're implementing these new kind of tendencies, you might end up giving up some pretty good odd man rushes, fast break chances against yourself, right? And it's going to be during those times that it's like, are we going to really question Zadorov and Tanev and Hannafin and Anderson and all these guys who are jumping up in the rush and trying to create offense like the team is saying? Or is it going to be kind of that balance of where you have to make a strong decision to limit what you're giving up, right? Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how he handles that. I thought he did a good job of joining the rush and kind of creating chances last year, so I'd like to see him take a step there. He's an interesting player. I don't know if there's a whole lot more ceiling as far as the offensive production, but I think he's gotten quite a ways away from his floor. And if he keeps taking a step forward, he could be a very important part for this team. Uh, we'll talk more Flames with Eric Francis coming up at the top of the uh, next hour. And apparently, uh, per the league, uh, Mackenzie Weger got a game misconduct because of abuse of the officials. Just fine. Get your money's worth. It's all right. It's okay. Love it. It happens. Maybe you'll get slapped with a fine. I doubt it. No fine. Just see you later. Mm-hmm. I'll go hit the showers. I'll get the warm water, the dry towels. All yeah, right. It just means he gets the first massage after. Yeah. That's, That's no fine. Uh, Adnan Verk straight ahead. Eric Francis, Tommy Wielden Jr. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960. The fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960. The fan. The top of the hour of the franchise. Eric Francis covers the flames for Sportsnet. We'll talk to Tommy Wielden Jr. Fresh off Cavalry FC winning the Canadian Shield as the best regular season team in the CPL. We'll also do some problems to wrap up the program. But right now, from the MLB NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Podcast Hotline, we say good morning to Adnan Burke. Hello, sir. How are you? What's going on, guys? How are we doing? Good. Um, got a couple things I want to get to before we talk Blue Jays with you. Um, there was a ride at Canada's Wonderland. Uh, it's called oh, the no. Lumberjack, the Lumberjack Ride. It's one of those okay. things that, like, you sit on there and it just goes round and round up top and spins. Big, like, ship yeah, thing. Those. It's like a barrel, right? You're sitting in a barrel, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Apparently, um, Adnan, at uh, Canada's Wonderland in uh, Vaughan, Ontario, uh, the thing goes, uh, you know, goes three full 360-degree uh, swings. Apparently, it got stuck at the top, 75 feet above the ground. For nearly 30 minutes. Wow. Um, there's uh, there's oh some clips. God. There's some clips on social media saying um, there are people staff from the park going, is everyone okay up there? The crowd of riders shouts back, no, in your near unison. <laughs> Can you like, so if Adnan Verk and his family is stuck on oh. a ride upside down for nearly 30 minutes, what are you asking from, from the park? Cause that's kind of what I want to ask you. Oh, my God. First off, I'm not a rides guy. And everyone thinks you're scared. If that's what I'm scared, I'm claustrophobic. So I don't like that feeling of being pinned in and I can't get out. If you could get on a ride and immediately it took off, I mean, I'd still be scared. Let's be honest. I'd still be screaming and like, you know, a petrified child. But I could do it. But that moment when you go and you, they strap you on really tight. Right? Like, you think you're the seatbelt and the guy comes by, that's like that little tire. Oh, my God. Get in there. And then there's that 30 seconds you can't get out. And you start going backwards and start lurching forward. That's like, oh, no, no, seriously, I can't do this. So I'm already incredibly uncomfortable just as you started to explain the story, George. Yes. Now you're telling me I'm stuck. Oh, my God. I mean, it's, 
I'm not exaggerating right now. That's one of my biggest fears in life is to be stuck in any situation. Oddly, I can take elevators and have no issue, but I can't sit in the back of a two-door car. I can't do it because there's no uh, door. Right? I can't get out. Yeah, I get so freaked out. I can't sit on a plane if there's three seats. I can't take the window seat. Because, again, for some reason, my head goes, oh, there's two seats. You can't get out. i got to go aisle seat or even middle seat, which is truly bizarre. Middle seat over a window seat. Really? Close to the exit, yeah. What but about what about a water slide? Like what about a water slide water where it's slide a tube? Yeah, tube I can do it. Again, it's, it's odd because it's we're moving. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I am enclosed, but we're moving. It's not like I'm stuck there steering. Oh, my God, I can't, I can't get out of this tube. Whereas in the plane, you're stuck, right? You're, there, you can't move. Back to door car, you can't do anything. So water slide can do, although you're right, I do prefer the open ones. If I, if I have an option, I will immediately go to the water slide where I can still see the sun. So to answer your question, I got four kids. I'm going to need college education for each of those. It's always one of my biggest fears <laughs> in life. Uh, in America, it's just grossly expensive. So it's like... Even if they go to Rutgers, right, state school, as they say here in America, meaning, you know, your province, you're looking at twenty grand a year times 480. Okay, I'm going to want $500,000. <laughs> for 30 kids. minutes? Oh, I, think, I, think, I yeah. think you're getting a food voucher for 30 <laughs> minutes, Adnan. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, I'll just I'll blast them. I'll use my previous tactic when I put lids on blast. I'll just tweet away. <laughs> Although before I had the blue check mark, I was verified. So lids mm. kowtowed to me and yep. gave me four free hats. Uh, mm. Honestly, I, I got to get more than a food voucher. Although, as I've complained to you guys before, I mean, Canada's one way. That's five minutes from my, my parents' house in, in Maple. The, the chicken fingers and fries, uh, $17. Like, it's just <laughs> insane how expensive the food is. So, you but, know what, George? Maybe yeah. you're onto something. Food vouchers for six months. That yep. might be worth it. That's Funnel cakes. Yeah. Funnel cakes for the Verks. Um, how do you handle, like, a, a jammed press box? Because sometimes mm. it gets pretty tight in there, Adnan. Yeah, you mean the actual press box or the press box elevator, to be specific? No, the elevator, you mentioned you were good on elevators. I'm wondering if you've ever been, like, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder in a press box and just tapped out. Yeah, you know what? I mean, there's definitely a situation, probably like in a scrum that may have happened. Again, mm. it's open air, so I still feel like, you know, if I was interviewing uh, you know, Chris Bosch and there's, like, 20 reporters jostling, I still feel like I can kind of get in there for a second. But you are right. The second that Bosch would finish his five minutes, I'm like, oh, I'll take a big exhale and kind of like, all right, let me walk around a little bit. But I, I, I can hang in in those situations. Again, it's temporary and it's not too enclosed. But yeah, it, it's not ideal. All right, Adnan. Now the uh, the hot button story we've been doing uh, this morning. I uh, went golfing yesterday at Canyon Meadows. So uh, the other two gentlemen were playing the tenth hole. We're on the green of the tenth hole. We got sandwiches at the turn. Okay. So while we're on the green, uh, a sandwich in the other cart. Uh, the top part of the sandwich was stolen by a crow who was oh. then eating the sandwich, like the piece of bread, oh. right? So my man, uh, my man Derek in the other cart whose sandwich got stolen, the top half of the sandwich, the bread, he subsequently ate the bottom half, Adnan. <laughs> the crow ate the top, he had the bottom. The crow came and stole the top of the sandwich, right? Yep. Grabbed, grabbed the bread, was eating the bread there, and he goes, uh, it's fine, and started subsequently eating the bottom of the sandwich. Matty Rose says, not the worst thing. I say disgusting. What say you, Adnan Burke? Yeah, I'm with you on this one, George. I, I, listen, I'm a big five-second rule. My kids drop some for a second. Like, ah, screw it. Go ahead. It's fine. But, like, a crow? Like, if I literally saw a crow, he was like, ah, oh, that's, that's a buzzard. That's a bird. That's a species. It's an animal who is, you know, breathing and perhaps some spittle on the residue of the sandwich. And he's picking up that bread. I'm like, I, I don't know. That's, 
That's kind of nasty. I'm with George on this one. See, here's the thing. George has painted it out like I'm just like totally down to just eat whatever falls on the floor, and that's not true. I said that if I had seen the crow do a rummage throughout the sandwich, I definitely would not eat it. But if the crow comes in and he does a drive-by and he quickly grabs a top piece of bread and then he takes off, well, I got no problem eating the rest of the sandwich that has not been touched by said bird. That's all. That's all I said. You're right. Yeah. The keyword is rummaging. Like you said, if you see the <laughs> Thank rummaging, you. you're like, oh my God, that's, that's disgusting. Yeah. It's, I guess if it's one fell swoop, like just blinking, you missed it, yeah. I suppose. But I mean, we, we can't be this destitute. I mean, it's really exactly. Exactly. $5 for the sandwich. It's not that big a deal. Come on. No, it's it's about needing calorie intake at the turn or the game goes to crap. That that's It's a major right. key. Um, if we don't do that, then then we may as well just pack up and go home. I think uh, I think there's no chance I'm touching that sandwich. And we also got a text. What if the bird stole one chip out of your chip bag to eat the rest of the chips? I'm like, no, of course I don't. I just chuck it. No. Yeah, right. I'm with George on this one. I, I, I'm surprised people are not as hygienic as me. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's simple. It's good. They eat they eat dead animals on the road, and then they want a piece of your sandwich. Um, and then wanted to ask you. Uh, I don't know why I'm thinking about this. Uh, I wish the Jays could potentially maybe set things up where they can play the Twins in the playoffs instead of the Rays. Am I getting too greedy? No, I'm with you, George. We were looking at the Twins yesterday on MLB Network. They've lost 18 straight playoff games. Like it's incredible that playoff ineptitude they've had. And the question we were posing was, can they win a game? Like, forget about winning a series because everyone knows they're not going to win the series. If they win the series, that'll be an upset. Whoever they face, they're going to be the underdog as division champions of a lousy division in the Central. And I tried to make a case the Twins couldn't be less than formidable, but could win a game. And you said, well, Pablo Lopez has been the race. Sonny Gray's top five in the American League in ERA. Uh, our boy Eddie Julian, Canadian, has been terrific for them recently. Walter can hit a little bit. Um, but Boxton's out. Don't know if he's going to come back. Correa's out. He should be back, but he has not had a great season. And at every turn, if you're the Blue Jays, you go, dude, we're clearly better than the Twins. You win two to three, which is what you need to do come playoff time. That should happen with their starting pitching and their balance and their offense and their power arms of the bullpen. So I'm with you, George. I think the most important thing is make the playoffs, which they're going to do. Basically, you go three and three, the Jays are in. Even if they go two and four, I think they're in. Just by virtue of the schedule, the fact that, you know, the Mariners and Rangers and Astros are all facing each other. And the Astros' big win last night is, <clears throat> excuse me, Verlander was terrific. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I don't want to face Tampa. Tampa's got the best home record of the majors. Like, they're outstanding at the trough. That, that's a significant upset if you can win two or three against the Rays, which in all likelihood it's going to be for the Jays. So, yeah, much more preferable to face those twins. But I don't think it's going to happen. What have you made of what we've seen from Vladdy and George Springer over the last little bit? It looks like they might have taken a turn, and if they're playing well this last week going into the playoffs, that'd be great for this club. It's a great sign, Matty Springer. We all know it's been a bad contract so far, but what's also undeniable is he's always great come playoff time, and you can include September as saying down the stretch because he really has, I wouldn't say he's redeemed his entire season, but there's no question George has picked things up the last few weeks, and he's been a really key cog in that offense, and when he's going, he really is a catalyst for this team. As for Vlad, been criticized for much of the year. Again, still has like a sub-800 OPS. But you can't deny he's been big recently. Had a couple home runs on Sunday. He's not at 100%. He's battling knee discomfort right now. Who knows how severe that is, but he was limited to DHing duties. Now back at first base. So uh, Vlad's been a gamer, and I think it's important to prove that as, as much maligned as he's been this year, and I think deservedly so. Like, you know, more is expected of Vlad, and he expects more of himself. And it's kind of shocking how just he hasn't been nearly as strong at home, even though the dimensions were supposed to help him. He has not been nearly as good at Rogers Center 
But he stepped it up, and he's a key player, and he's a big hitter when you need him to be, and he's done that for them. And, and I said to Steve Phillips last night, uh, who does a great job on MLB Network Radio, former Mets GM, I said, what would the return be like for Vlad Jr.? Because I said, if they trade him this offseason, for example, if the Jays were to miss the playoffs, which I don't think they will, or if they got spanked in the playoff games, which could happen, you know, would they ever entertain trading Vlad? And he goes, well, I don't think they would. You've got to have pretty big stones to do that. He's got two more years under club control. But it would be a Juan Soto-type situation. He said, if you were to deal Vlad Jr., you'd get four blue-chip prospects back. And again, to reiterate, he doesn't think the Jays will do it, nor should they. But mm-hmm. it's just something to think about, that Vlad Jr., even as Jays fans have been frustrated with him this season, he still holds a lot of allure within the game of baseball. He's the youngest player on the team, which I was stunned when Steve said that to me. I said, there's no way. He's like, he is. Look it up. You feel like he's been around forever, but he's the youngest guy on the team. Well. And a lot of teams still think he'll only get better. And then Verk, MLB, NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Podcast Hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. What kind of wild card is Kevin Biggio here for the rest of the season? He's interesting because, you know, all this love, George, that they've given the baby Blue Jays, you know, normally most of it's gone towards Vlad and Boba Chef, but Biggio is a guy that can be valuable for them, and what's happened is that, you know, they've realized that guys like Dalton Varsho will be really good defensively, but offensively, they've got to step it up here. So you mix and match a little bit, put Whit Merrifield in left field. David Schneider was inserted second base because he had been such a shot offensively. Then he went 0 for 30. This guy's a disaster. So Kevin Beecher becomes very important because he can play so many different positions. You can put him at second base. You can move him at first base if Vlad Jr. needs to DH. You can also put him in the outfield if need be. And he's been better recently as well. Again, he's not a key hitter, but he's one of those key contributors that you'll get come playoff time. And you'll look at a team and go, all right, this guy's versatility and ability to get a timely hit can be important. So – I think in many ways, Kevin Biggio is kind of an overlooked because he's not Craig Biggio and he's not as good as the other baby Blue Jays, but he's a good piece for the Jays team. And you've seen his value these last few weeks. If the playoffs started today, what would you do for the Jays rotation in a three-game set? I think Gosman obviously is the ace. I would go with Barrios game two. I'd put Bassett game three. And I'd have, uh, obviously, if it's a five-game series, those are my three. I'm good to go. And if it's a best of seven, I would have Kikuchi as my game four starter. I got Ryu coming out of the bullpen in case one of those guys falters. You know, give him a hook in the second inning kind of deal. But I think Goss is clearly the ace, leading the American League in strikeouts. I think Brios has had a really important bounce-back season, three-and-a-half ERA, much better at home than on the road. So you may be able to look at the home-road splits a little bit. Uh, same thing for Bassett, actually. Bassett's uh, splits are even more pronounced. I think he's even much better at home versus road. So I would take a look at that, but honestly, just gut feel on it. Matty, I would go uh, Gossman, i go Barrios, and I'd go Bassett. i feel pretty good about that trio. They've got the best starters ERA in the majors, which is amazing. We saw maybe a little bit of a speed bump from the bullpen, mm, not this past series, but the week prior. Any worries there with that group? No, I think the bullpen's really important. You know, you, come playoff time, you've got to have power bats and power arms, and that's, you know, the game of baseball slows down, but the speed never does come playoff time. And I think Romano's critical as a closer. He's an all-star. There's a reason why he's been really reliable the last few seasons. Swanson is an excellent setup man. They acquired from Seattle for Teoscar. And then Hicks is a guy who throws 103 at times 105. Like, it's crazy the kind of smoke he has. So those three together are going to be important. You know, are they susceptible maybe on the underbelly getting into the sixth or the seventh inning, perhaps? But that's like both teams. I'm like, your, your middle relief is never as good as your short relief. But I think the bullpen's pretty good for the Jays. I like their pitching staff top to bottom. How do you think you say Kikuchi figures into this? Do, do they have him out of the bullpen? Is he going to start a game? How do, you think he, how do you think he figures into this if they can get past the Rays and or the Twins? Yeah, I think if you go past Razor Twins, that best of three, he's not going to have any action. But depending on how things line up, if Gossman or Bastard Brios kind of need a breather, then you can definitely give Kikuchi a start. So I think it's... Over you know, Ryu right now? 
I think so. I would I would put Kikuchi over Ryu. I mean, I, the story about Kikuchi, by the way, is so funny. I know you guys have talked about it. The fact he had that cramping the other day because he didn't get his usual 14 hours of sleep. Yeah. Only He's like a bear. Sleep. He's yeah. like he hibernates I mean, like a bear, Adnan. Yeah. yeah I, I, honestly, it's yeah, it goes back to the crow and the bear again. Imagine if you say Kikuchi ate one of your chips, would you still eat the rest of the chips? <laughs> because basically he's a bear and he hibernates and he sleeps 14 hours a day. Yeah, I put Kikuchi over Ryu, and I think it might go that way. Let's suppose it goes three games. Uh, Gossman, Barrios, Bassett. And so game one of the ALDS, if Gossman can't go, I would go Kikuchi game one and then go back to the Gossman Barrios Bassett lineup. I mean, that's incredible to think about. If you said the start of the year, Kikuchi could be starting game one of the ALDS, but I could see it. Um, wanted to get your thoughts. Apparently, uh, the Padres are going to start to shed some salary here in the offseason because it ain't working uh, right now in San Diego. The amount of talent they have on that team is Tatis Jr., a guy who could potentially get dealt. What's going to happen with Juan Soto? How are things going to shake out in San Diego? I think Soto's the first one to get dealt. I think he's got one year left on his deal. As you said, a year and a half of Soto, and it has not worked out. And he's top 10 in the majors in OPS. He's quietly had a great season. And I'm one of those guys who says he should you know, swing the bat more. He walks too much. But look at his numbers. He's at 273, but his on base is like 408. Like, that's impressive. If you have a 40% on base percentage, i got to give you props. I think he has 32 home runs. He has over 100 RBI. Like, his slugging is over 500. Like, he's, he's quietly had, like I said, a great year. Now, who cares? The team didn't win, right? So someone's got to get moved. Machado, $300 million contract, had a bad year, was hurt, going to get elbow surgery in the offseason. He's not going anywhere. Tatis is a guy who, I mean, me and Harold Reynolds love him because he's so exciting. He's one of the most exciting players in the game. One of the most popular players in the game. His jersey's still a number three bestseller, by the way. It goes Otani, Judge, then Tatis. Really? I believe ahead of Acuna, which was surprising to me when I saw it the other day. So Tatis is still a really popular guy. I said to Steve Phillips again, when we met GM last night, where could you trade Tatis? And he goes, call Steve Cohen. He goes, I think it's the only guy that might take on that contract of $340 million. Tatis, to me, is an all-star. Not as great this year as last year, but he's going to win a gold glove in right field. Like, he's got a cannon for an arm. He had an incredible catch of the day where he robbed the guy of a home run Sunday, I believe it was. So, uh, Tatis, the only trade I could see is the Mets. They might be trading Alonzo because he wants a big contract. They don't really want to pay him the kind of money he wants. So, I think Soto mm. and Tatis both could be in play to get moved. And, by the way, they've got to try to re-sign Snell. I think Snell and Hayter are both free agents. And Snell's going to win a Cy Young. So, they've definitely got to move some guys. Baseball fans across the country are really disappointed that the Yankees are going to miss the postseason. What do you think happens next for this organization? Well, Aaron Boone said the other day that he hasn't gotten any clarity if he'll be back or not. But I'll tell you right now, he's not going anywhere because Brian Cashman is tied to hip with him, and he loves him. And Cashman just signed a big contract last offseason. So, rightly or wrongly, the most important relationship in many ways is GM and manager, and those guys are on the same page. So, Booney's not going anywhere unless it went above his head, unless Hal Steinmeier told Cashman he's going to go. And I don't think Hal Steinmeier is the type to do that. He loves Brian Cashman. He respects him. If Cashman says he's my guy, he's my guy. So, Booney will be the manager at least for next year. He's got a team option for 2025. Who knows if that gets picked up? That depends on how next year goes. I'd love to see them trade Stanton. God, what a terrible contract that is. But you're going to have to eat a lot of salary there. I think he's got $120 million and four or five years left in the deal. So, you have to eat at least $60 million and try to convince some team to go, hey, can you take four years at $15 million per? Maybe the Giants, a team like that, that could use a star and some power, perhaps. But got to deal Stanton, and they've got to try to get younger. You know, they've used some of these younger players. Volpe had a 2020 season. He was good defensively, obviously low batting average. They've given Wells a chance, Pereira a chance, Florial a chance, some of these guys in the minors. No one's really impressed with the exception of Jason Dominguez, who looked incredible, and now he's got Tommy John won't be back till July. So they're going to have to fix more than a few things, but – just the fact that they're so old. I mean, a lot of things just went wrong. 
Stanson's ineffectiveness under the Mendoza line. Rizzo got hurt, barely played. Donaldson was a disaster. That trade was bad. So they've got issues up and down the lineup, Matty. But I think the main thing is just trying to get younger, mm. uh, certainly with their position players and their pitching. They've got to hope Radon comes back healthy. I mean, they're pitching. It's Garrett Cole. The number two guy in terms of starts, wins, strikeouts is Clark Schmidt. Like, who would have thought that? Frankie Montas, they traded for him. The guy's a disaster. He hasn't done anything for them. And they traded for him a year ago. So you got to get Rodon, Montas, Severino. All those guys got to get right. There's a lot of work there. I think it's pretty impressive, actually, that Aaron Boone might get that team above 500, considering what a bad year it's been. Well, you also got to kind of, and it's it's hard to do, but tip your cap to Garrett Cole because what did everybody say? Oh, he's not the same pitcher without the spider attack. Well, he's not using spider attack this season. Dude's going to win the Cy Young, Adnan. Totally. And he's always been the best pitcher never to win a Cy Young award. He's been top five five times. He's been runner-up twice. He's not quite the Susan Lucia baseball pitcher who's never to win a signing award, but he was getting there. So, And it's been demonstrably better. Like He's clearly head and shoulders above the rest of the league. Like Even a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to talk myself into it. No, he's never won in every major category with the exception of strikeouts. ERA, you know, FIP, uh, WHIP. I mean, what about XFIP? XFIP? Yeah. If you, if you like your FIP, then this guy's <laughs> FIP and good. Let me tell you that right now. Yeah, so, I'm more of an XFIP oh, guy. You're right. FIP and good, nice. That was the issue, but he, you know, he's not the ratio. For a guy who's getting $324 million, I wouldn't say he's underpaid, but he's worth every penny yeah. of the Yankees. Dude, dude's a uh, bona fide ace. Uh, this isn't a question. It's more of a statement. Please, let's see the Braves and Dodgers in the NLCS. Yeah, although I'm, I don't think it's going to happen, George. I, you know what happened Ooh. with the Braves is their pitching concerns me now because Morton is going to miss the NLDS, and Freed's in the aisle right now. They say he'll be back, but i got a sneaky suspicion. It's going to be Braves, Phillies, and Phillies pull off the ups in the NLDS. So I think it's going to be wow. Phillies, Dodgers, and LCS. Okay. Uh, wanted to ask you uh, a little movie question. We were giving away tickets to the Expendables 4 last week, which prompted me to watch uh, Expendables 1 and 2 over the weekend. What a treat. Um, I wanted to ask you about your favorite ensemble movies because that first one, that's a star-studded cast, Adnan. It certainly is, and it's amazing to get those kind of stars together. Thank God, in this case, Matty, they sent me a free link, so I didn't have to spend $17 Lucky. on the Expendables 4. Although, I, yeah, I got to be really jealous, though, Jason Statham, while he's making out with Megan Fox and uh, Sylvester Stallone, so mumbling his way towards another paycheck, Dolph Lundgren. I mean, the movie got 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's just, just scorching. And by the way, you would think that's an immediate box office hit, $8 million to box office this weekend. Oof. That's it. It wasn't even the number one movie. It was behind The Nun 2. Expendables 4 falls flat on a $100 million budget. You can't beat The Nun 2, which it wasn't their opening weekend. It's been out for a couple of weeks. Shocking. The Expendables 4 is not doing it at the box office. But favorite ensembles, I'd probably go Pulp Fiction. That's a pretty great cast. It's Travolta, Sam Jackson, Uma Thurman, uh, Harvey Keitel, obviously. That's, that's a pretty special one for me. Eric Stoltz getting a little love. Goodfellas, obviously, is a great one, just because so many of those guys pop up in The Sopranos as well. So if you go in that direction, the Billy Batts of the world, like Frank Vincent, obviously Paul Servino with De Niro, Pesci Leota. But those are a couple that come to mind for me. And obviously, um, as much as I hate Tom Cruise, I do think Magnolia is a hell of an ensemble, too. Mm-hmm. When you look at John C. Riley, Philip Baker Hall. I mean, you know what? Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is a great ensemble. Now that I think about yep. it, that's an even better one than Magnolia because you got Wahlberg and, again, the John C. Riley and all those uh, P.T. Anderson regulars. Well, and then two movies pop into my head when you just said those two movies. Number one, Tropic Thunder. We used to talk about uh, yes. uh, ensemble cast. And Ocean's Eleven. Yes. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven was a great ensemble cast. Yeah. If you want star power, you're not beating Ocean's Eleven. All those guys look good in suits. It's not fair. Yeah, yeah it's true. It absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, you always look good in the suit, Adnan. Uh, so we've learned <laughs> that uh, you're super claustrophobic. Uh, you'd probably yeah. get a meal voucher if you're stuck upside down for 30 minutes on a ride at Canada's Wonderland. 
<laughs> and uh, you're like me. There's no way you're getting anywhere near that sandwich after a crow was picked at it. Yeah, like a 40 sport rider, a sports rider. I'm not going to eat crow when it comes to this, okay? That's <laughs> All right. It. Soft. I love it. So soft. Uh, and then, Verka, uh, thanks for this, pal. Let's do it again soon. <laughs> George, Maddie, thanks, boys. We'll talk soon. There he is in the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, MLB, NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast. Uh, the Heritage Classic sweaters are out. The Expendables 4. Um, the Heritage Classic sweaters are out. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. I don't mind the Flames one. I think it's nice. Honoring the uh, 1950s and 60s you know the Calgary prob- Stampeders you know the, hockey team. You know what the problem is here? What's that? Once again. Flames normal uniforms are just so much better than yeah. everything. Uh, both like, these like, teams' normal uniforms yeah. are better I'm than like, what they I, got I'd here. I'd rather see the Flames in just their normal homes if I'm not going to. If, yeah. if I'm being serious. Like, it's a nice sweater. It's Yeah, it's good. It's better than the Edmonton one. I, yeah, the I, oil I drop, so. and they yeah, have their number on the drop. They are yeah, uh, honoring the Edmonton Mercuries that won the gold medal in the 1952 Olympics. Oh, okay. Uh, I like the Calgary Flames one. We should retweet this They're on the Sportsnet 960 account. Uh, straight ahead, the like franchise. It, it also wouldn't have killed either of these gentlemen to smile for the photo, but it's a serious game. Yeah, mm. we're taking this outdoors. Yeah, great. Jeez. <laughs> 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 uh, Eric Francis next. Uh, Tommy Willen Jr. and uh, we'll do some problems. It's all in the eight o'clock hour. Big show. Russick and Rose. Nine sixty. The fan.